Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Swing and a drive, right field and deep. Back goes Aquino, it's got a chance, gone! Get out the tape measure, long gone! Fly the W! Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean. Welcome in to another edition of the Fly the W670 podcast. We're calling this one the saddest sweep. It's season one. It is episode 19. I'm Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show. You hear us weekdays, 5.30 to 10 a.m. You hear me, 5 to 5.30, warming the audience up, getting you ready for the Mully and Haw Show. And as always, I'm joined by my good pal, Crawley. Crawley, how are you? Doing good. You can follow me at Crawley's Cubs, and you can follow us at Fly the W670 on G- on Instagram and on Twitter, and you can email us at flythew670 at gmail.com. And I never thought I would be sad after the Cubs sweep a team, but here we are, Dustin. Yeah, here we are. It's a great name for the episode, Crawley. Again, if you just uh, missed it the first time around, Season 1, Episode 19, the saddest sweep. So the Cubs were able to fly the W two times, but we are all in assumption that that was the last game for Ian Happ and fellow all-star Wilson Contreras at Wrigley Field. Monday night, Crawley, you were there, and then Tuesday afternoon, I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast was either watching on marquee or listening to Pat and Ron call it on 670 The Score. Yeah, I went down Monday. Um, There was a Malort miss going on down at Nisei Lounge, and I couldn't miss Peppermint uh, Spiked uh, uh, Malor. So you know, it was uh, it was a good times. But I went Monday, and I just had that same feeling I did uh, last year. I was at the last game the Cubs played versus Cincinnati before the trade deadline, and when I was driving home listening to the score on the post game, that was when the news Rizzo got traded broke, and then you know then it was Baez, and then Bryant by the by the time they're at Washington the next day. So, you know, that was just such a shocker because we didn't think all three would be gone. Maybe one of them would stick around, probably Rizzo, but Rizzo being the first, and then the hits just kept on coming. Um, This one was different. You know, I was talking to you about the uh, Scores 30th anniversary party, and I always kind of have that Terry Bors, you know, are you resigned to the fate? Uh, You know, that old who you crap in intro that Terry used to do to Mike Ditka. And, And that's just what this, it was different. I was just resigned to the fate. I was accepting of the fate that, Chances are I will never see Wilson Contreras or Ian Happ in a Cubs uniform again. 
Yeah, I mean, you're probably 100% right, but as I had said on the last podcast, I believe, I know I said it in the morning on the score, I was shocked. I mean, I'm happy for Wilson, and I'm happy for you as a fan that you got to see. I was shocked that Wilson was in the lineup Monday night. Now, he didn't catch, but, no, he did, ca- he did catch he on did Monday catch, night. Yeah. He caught on Monday night, and then he DH'd Tuesday afternoon. And I, 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 am, I am absolutely shocked by that. He is by far the most valuable trade tip chip they have. They've got a couple of good chips, but he by far should get you the most back. And to actually put him behind the plate and to put him in the lineup, that was amazing. I I, I understand what you're saying, but I honestly think Ian Happ is going to be worth the most only because you he's not a rental. You have another year of control with him. So I think Ian may be the one that really kind of gets you the, the bigger bounty that you're looking for. But it I thought, if, if anything, I thought it was going to be DH in two games. I was surprised he was behind the dish. And, and so, you know, when I got there and I saw the lineup and then uh, where my seats are, I always see whoever the starter is for that game. For this game, it was Adrian Sampson and, 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 and uh, Wilson come out of the left field uh, through the doorway where the bullpen is. It was, it was, I've seen it so many times, you know. It was weird just to kind of have that feeling that I, I knew for a fact that that was it. Yeah, and you were good on social media about it. I saw you. I think you tagged it, picture one last time, question mark. And uh, yeah, it was a it was a sad sweep. But uh, you obviously were at the game on Monday night, and since they swept, the Cubs obviously won. So why don't we go through it, Cubs Pirates Crawley game one? That was Monday night at Wrigley Field. I got to dust off the old W flag for this one as the Cubs won three to two. Didn't expect a pitcher's duel. Adrian Sampson versus JT Brubaker, but that's exactly what we had. And when you take a look at Adrian Sampson, how many times we got to say this guy, he can't get a win to save his life, but he always d- does a, a fantastic job. This was his, actually his first quality start. So he gave you depth. He didn't give up a lot of runs. Uh, he did an excellent job. Uh, the game started out kind of weird. Bottom of the first, two tooth lands. Two tooth plans, not one, two tooth plans. Rafael Ortega has a leadoff single. He gets caught stealing, and that was a bizarre one because, like, he just took, like, a running lead, and the guy never threw the ball, and he kept going. He's about three-quarters of the way there, and then he slams the brakes and decides to go back. He's in an easy rundown, so he gets tossed. Uh, The next batter is Wilson Contreras. He gets hit by a pitch. And Suzuki with the fly out, it wasn't that deep, probably like 10, 15 feet in front of the warning track. He tries to, to, to tag up and get to second. And so for those of you that don't know the acronym Toot Plan, it stands for thrown out on the bases like a nincompoop. And it's actually in the major league. It is an actual stat. It started in 2008 because Ryan Terrio used to always get thrown out for stupid reasons. And so people started kind of recording that, and that's how it came. So two instances right there where for absolutely no reason at all you got, you know, JT Brubaker, look, when you're facing a Max Scherzer or you're facing some stud pitcher, you have to try to figure out a way to manufacture runs. That's not JT Brubaker. If you got, you know, you don't have to try to manufacture runs or be uber aggressive. He's going to give some stuff up or at least you would think. So it was bizarre to see you know, just two of those mistakes on the base pass. The yeah, I definitely thought this would be an over game Crawley that night. I expected there to be um, some runs scored, and I agree with you. You know, it was just it, it, you could tell that Wilson was not completely focused in that game, and I'm sure as we go through the rest of this game, we'll get to a couple of other moments where it looked like he was not 
completely focused. Right. We get to the top of the second, and um, it was a Ben Gamble who, for whatever reason, only plays well against the Cubs. He doubles. Uh, Michael Chavez grounds out wisdom to Rivas, and this was another weird play. Rivas looked him back, but not enough, and 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 so he was able to get to third. Chavez barely was thrown out, and Gamble ended up advancing anyway. Yoshi Tsugo strikes out, and with two outs, O'Neill Cruz singles, and the Pirates are up one nothing early. A very bizarre play. Yeah, that's not something you see all the time. And again, the Pirates, with very little to lose, were being, in my opinion, ultra aggressive on the base pass as well. And and Ben Gamble, like I said, he gets that double. He had another one that was just absolutely jacked that that Morel was able to track down almost at the wall. And he made a fantastic diving play to rob Morel of extra bases, completely laid out on a ball that looked like that was easily a double. And with, with Morel's speed, maybe a triple. But uh, in the bottom of the second, Ian Happ doubles. Nico Horner, we can't say enough about, he singles, and the game is now tied at one. Bottom of the third, Rafael Ortega, who has been struggling mightily, he homered, he turned on one to right and deposited it in the right field bleachers. So the Cubs are up two to one. We get to the bottom of the fourth with one out. Nico Walk, wisdom doubles. You have runners at second and third with one out. You have a wild pitch by Brubaker. It gets past the catcher, and it bounces right back to him, and Horner's thrown out at home. Wisdom goes to third. Schwindel walks. Reba strikes out. But I just kept saying, God, ever since they moved that wall closer, you know, that, that ball just ricocheted right back. It wasn't a yeah, bad Yeah, very, very lucky bounce. I, I, don't, I don't have an issue with Horner uh, being aggressive. And he also took at least, what, a step, a step and a half, maybe even two steps back towards third before he fully committed to home. And once he committed to home, he had to go. And not only that, he slowed up when he knew he was going to be thrown out to, to allow Wisdom to make sure that he gets his base. So, right. you know, it, it works out there. But top of the fifth, two outs, uh, Tyler Heineman doubles. And then you have a throwing error by Wilson on a pickoff attempt. Josh Van Meter doubles, and the game's tied at two. Yep, game was tied at two, and you got a little nervous, if you will, that uh, maybe things wouldn't go their way. But as we already know, Crowley, things did go the Cubs' way. I will tell you, though, I was kind of irritated, and you were talking about Wilson not being completely mentally there. Um, Josh Van Meter, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head what he bats, but i got to say close to 180. I'm, I'm not kidding you. It, he's not... You know, when you take a look at that team, you know, you worry about O'Neal Cruz. That kid's got pop, right? You worry about, um, you, you know, Key Brian Hayes. You worry about Brian Reynolds. Those are the guys you worry about. Josh Van Meter, don't worry about the runner at second. Get the runner out right in front of you and end the inning. Right. No reason to worry about him. You're 100% right. 100% so right. We get to the bottom of the eighth, one out. Suzuki reaches on an air. Hap grounds out, and Suzuki advances to second. And then Nico Horner doubles the Cubs' lead 3-2. to two. And in the top of the ninth, I know you were thinking about this, uh, Dustin, no David Robertson, Scott yeah. Efros comes in <laughs> to close hmm. it out. Things that make you go, hmm, I wonder why. I wonder why no David Robertson. Right, and so, that, you know, obviously he closed the game on Sunday against the Phillies, but still it was just like, oh, okay, all right, maybe, you know, we'll see, but we'll, you know, Come the next game, what happens? But Adrian Sampson does it again. Seven innings pitch, six hits, two runs, one walk, three Ks. Just like I said, this guy has just been 
doing all you can ask. You know, he had that one game where he kind of struggled in the first in Boston and then settled it down. But other than that, guy's been really, really good. He or has take- been really, really good. I, I just sorry to interrupt you there. He has been. I mean, I, I never thought he would be as good as he's been so far. Right, and so you know, you, you kind of keep your fingers crossed. You know, we saw what happened with Matt Swarmer have some good starts and then kind of start to struggle a little bit. And and you you know that's the thing. These guys, the, the amount of pressure for like a guy like Adrian Sampson. You know what I mean? He's a couple starts back to going to AAA, and he's doing what he has to do to keep himself getting called every fifth day. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. So you had Ortega two for four with the homer, Hap two for four with the double, Nico two for three with two RBIs. So, you know, you, you had some offense, and, and it was good to see Ortega, like I said, kind of snap out of it a little bit. And Nico uh, pl- just staying red hot. I mean, oh. he is just he is just in a, in, a, in a spot right now. Yeah, he's in a zone. And uh, for Brubaker, it wasn't a bad outing, you know. Six innings pitch, eight hits, two runs, two walks, four Ks. Key Brian Hayes and O'Neill Cruz both two for four, but not enough as the Cubs take game one. All right, Crowley, the Cubs take game one. We get to, as we like to say, fly the W, and we move over to game two, an afternoon affair. Keegan Thompson making his first post-All-Star game start. Let's go through it. Yeah, another victory for the Cubs as Keegan Thompson takes on Bryce Wilson, and the Cubs are just the king of the first-inning runs, man. Absolutely phenomenal. One out, uh, you, you saw Wilson Contreras and the ovation that he got and he tipped his hat to the crowd on that first at bat, and, and there would be ovations for every single at bat he had. And uh, he, he singled, uh, and you could see the emotion in his eyes even when he's at bat. He singles, Suzuki doubles, you have runners at second and third, Hap doubles, the Cubs are up 2 nothing, and then Horner staying red hot doubles, Cubs are up 3 nothing. So three doubles in a row, but after that, Wilson is going to settle down. Um, and Keegan Thompson just was absolutely on, had the good stuff. What they didn't, able, they weren't able to tag him for a run until the top of the seventh with one out. Cal Mitchell reached on an error on Nico. It was, it was kind of a tough play. It was it wasn't the worst error, but it was a play that Nico knows he should have made. Uh, Greg Allen grounds out to Thompson, and so you got the two outs. So if you didn't have the error, he would have been out of the inning. But then O'Neill Cruz, the six seven six eight prospect shortstop got a hold of one and so that cut the Cubs lead three to two yeah O'Neill Cruz is already doing some damage in his short uh big league career against the Cubs so he's a guy that uh, I think we're gonna have to worry about for the next I don't know decade yeah or until the Pirates decide to trade him for another <laughs> with all their rebuilds but uh yeah they, they have they have a lot of really good young players um, but when we talked last game I said why, the reason I said sweep because usually you know when when even games I always say split but the reason I said swept is I just took a look at where they were in their rotation, and they just don't have the starting pitching. But they're, they have more talent coming in that system. They're, they're, they're not going to be the punching bag that they've always been in the next couple of years. I think that, in my opinion, you're going to really see a Cubs-Pirates rivalry when we start talking about 2024, 2025, that's going to actually mean something. Um, in the bottom of the eighth, Seiya Suzuki hit a solo home run to left center. It was, to me, I think one of the hardest farthest home runs he hit it was going to go out to Waveland but it actually hit a light pole so it stayed in the park but he absolutely crushed that to give the Cubs a little bit of insurance four to two lead I look at the bullpen doors swing open and nope no David Robertson Michael Givens comes on for the save so second game in a row Robertson's not out and Michael Givens went back to back days right he he you saw him on uh, Monday night at Wrigley Field correct and so 
Very interesting. Uh, hmm. <laughs> hmm. Take what you want out of that one right there. But, you know, Keegan was absolutely phenomenal. Seven innings pitched, four hits, two runs. None of them were earned. No walks and seven Ks. Best two parts of that of that line, okay? No walks, seven Ks. No walks, seven Ks. Love it. Absolutely. Seiya and Nico, both two for four. Uh, say it with that home run we talked about. Bryce Wilson looked okay. Six innings pitched, three runs, three earned, one walk, two Ks. Like I said, settled down. But at that point, the Cubs already did the damage that they needed. But the, the story of the game was clearly Wilson and Ian and their last hurrahs at Wrigley Field. And uh, what we're assuming is the last hurrahs. I mean, it, it's, it's, I hate to say done deal, but it doesn't look like they're coming back. And, and, and this was... With Wilson, you know, you kind of felt that way the whole time. With Ian, uh, this was the first time I kind of really saw the emotion in him about it. Um, they well, were pretty both- cool story, Crowley. I read him. I read that he said that a bunch of the guys or fans in left field signed a ball that are out there quite a bit and threw it to him. Pretty, pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool stuff. Right. So th- those are my guys, the left field bleacher, and there's a lot of great guys out there: uh, Danny Rocket, Sarah Sanchez, Bleacher Jeff. Um, and they, they obviously, they go to a lot of games, they become close to him, and they all signed a ball for him. And what they did is they gave it to one of the bullpen guys to hold on to. Very, so very that cool. Very after cool. the game, they were able to give it to him. Um, when you looked at the broadcast, I mean, they clearly were playing this up as far as the emotions. I mean, made for great TV. So to see Wilson and, and you know, and, and I know I listened a little bit of it on, on the score as well with Pat and Ron. You could just hear when they just stopped talking and let the field mics do their thing. And the ovations, especially Wilson got, and that very first one where he tips the hat. And then uh, at the end of the game, Taylor McGregor interviewed Wilson Contreras, and this is what he had to say about uh, his feelings to, to the Cub fans. Uh, I would like to say that I love you all. Thanks for everything. Thanks for everything you guys uh, did for, for me and my family. I got a, a lot of um, good relationship with, with some friends from Chicago, um, and I'm pretty sure um, I'm gonna love him forever. So, thank you for everything, and I wish uh, I could play for you guys. But this is a business. I understand that. I love you all. This is a business. Yes, it is. And hey, listen. You know, a tip of the cap back to back to Wilson, and a thank you from me to Wilson. He. Uh, has been great. I've really enjoyed him, and um, at one point, he has become my favorite Cub. Yeah, and 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 as I said, you know, just a leader, um, a good person, like a really good heart. It's he played with a lot of fire and a lot of passion, but off the field, he's a much more quiet and reserved guy. He reminds me a lot of Carlos Zambrano in that way. That the guy that you see on the field sometimes is different than the guy in person. I got to meet him through Club 400 and a couple of other events. And um, just just, uh, just a big heart. He really cares about people. And he does. He did a lot of things very similar to Rizzo that maybe weren't in front of everybody, but but were kind of more behind the scenes stuff. Um, and, and so, you know, when the game was over yesterday, uh, again, second game against the Pirates, Ian Happ and Wilson Contreras were the last two Cubs in the dugout and they, they embraced for about 15, 16 seconds. And it was just a tough scene. You're listening to the fly, the W six seventy podcast. This is season one, episode 19, the saddest of sweeps. As it looks like we've seen the last of Ian Happ and Wilson Contreras. 
out at the friendly confines, and now we're going to have an interview with Chicago Tribune Cubs beat writer Megan Montemoro. Next on Fly the W, I am here with the beat writer for uh, Cubs beat writer for the Chicago Tribune, Megan Montemoro. Megan, how are you doing today? I'm good. Ready for uh, the craziness of trade deadline week. <laughs> And that's, that's why I wanted to have you on because, uh, you know, it was about a week ago, a little over a week ago that we saw a picture of Wilson and Ian at the all-star game with old pal Kyle Schwarber. And it just so happens that the Cubs started facing off against Phillies in the second half. And you had a chance to talk to Kyle Schwarber and Kyle was really one of the first one of the core, obviously Jake Arrieta elected free agency and stuff like that, but he was really the first to actually get moved by the Cubs. They non-tendered him which was shocking. And so he gave you an interview talking about kind of what is going on in the mindset of guys like Ian Happ and Wilson Contreras. What did he really say about that whole experience for him? Yeah, I think his main message was that, you know, you, you always think it, it can never be better than where you're at. Um, and he obviously spoke very highly of the Cubs organization and his time there, but he also made clear like there's other really good organizations and, and teams that are run well elsewhere and that, you know, kind of life moves on and you can still be successful and you can still find a place and an organization that you can call home that isn't the Cubs. And so I thought that was interesting perspective. And, you know, he, he understands what, um, you know, Hap and, you know, Wilson face, you know, basically outside of David Bodie, no home homegrown players under, you know, Theo and Jed have been given contract extensions. And so he kind of talked about how, you know, it, it was never something he felt entitled to or was really waiting for. Um, but he understands the desire to want to stay where you're at. And so I just thought it was, it was good perspective. You know, he spoke from a fan perspective of, yeah, like, obviously if you're a Cubs fan, like you want these guys sticking around but from the business side, you know, he also said that he understands what teams have to do. And um, and it's pretty obvious kind of what direction the Cubs are going to be going. Um, so I thought it was it was, you know, kind of insightful. And just in terms of, you know, like sometimes the grass can be greener on the other side. I know not maybe all players would agree with that, but for Schwarber, that's how he's felt. And, and you know, he thinks that can be the case for, for Wilson and Hap, too. And he's a good example to talk to because, I mean, when you think about it, 2015, he's the guy that puts the home run on top of the video board. He's the one that has the catastrophic injury in the beginning of 2016 and comes back and plays World Series hero. And so when he was non-tendered, I mean, at least, you know, the Cubs looked to get something out of Wilson and Ian. I mean, they just let him walk for money. And, and I know for a fact that he was absolutely floored. He was shocked by that. He was really shaken when that happened. So, you know, I, do you think that maybe he talked to Ian or Wilson at all during the All-Star break about it, or was it mainly just try to get their minds off of it? Yeah, I think a little bit of both. I mean, I think you talk to any players, you know, they don't always want to be talking baseball, whether it's, you know, at an event like the All-Star game or on the bench, you know, but it definitely sounds like he connected with them and, you know, definitely could, could tell them like, hey, I relate to, to what potentially you're facing and the uncertain future that comes with that. And so... You know, I think it is helpful for them. And, you know, I think obviously Hap being pretty close with him too, you know, um, and I think having a guy like that that's gone through something like that, um, you know, obviously there's the three from last year as well. But, it, you know, when you have a chance to connect with somebody, you know, you're able to kind of get information direct from the source if you want it. 
And when when you talk about those guys, you talked about the three from last year. That was Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez. I mean, as a fan, I was just shocked because I said, okay, I know some of these guys are going, but at least they'll probably keep Rizzo or maybe they'll keep Baez. But when it was all three, it was shocking. And, and Schwarber talked about that as well, like for a guy like Rizzo. Um, to be gone. I mean, he was the heart and soul of that team, really the captain, you would say. And, and that to see, to see players shocked by that really kind of spoke volumes. Yeah. And I mean, I think players, you know, within clubhouses can see who, who matters a lot to the city or, or to a fan base. And obviously I think Rizzo is a very obvious example of that. And if he's, you know, somebody that can go through that really, it means anybody is in play in that situation. And so, you know, I, I think it's interesting just how different, you know, this team's going to be over these next two months. I mean, it's kind of hard to believe go, how different the team is going to be from opening day last year to what, you know, the, the lineup is probably going to look like on August 3rd. Um, but, you know, I think one thing that really stood out last year from when um, Jed Hoyer talked to us after that was that, you know, it, it was, an, it was emotional having to do that, but like, he also talked about needing to keep the emotion out of those kind of decisions, which if you're a fan, you know, it's all about emotions and being attached and, you know, wanting these guys to stay Cubs for life or at least, you know, beyond um, their arbitration years. And so to hear him say that, I mean, really brings home kind of the business side of this, um, which every player kind of knows exists, but maybe doesn't fully grasp it until they're the ones going through it. Right. Ernie Banks was was an outlier when you think, you know, Ron Santo finished with the White Sox and Billy Williams finished with the A's. And you could just go down the list as, you know, it, it is unfortunately a business and that doesn't help you as a fan. And when I was kind of uh, you had the opportunity to be in the clubhouse after that Blue Friday massacre last year, roughly around the same time it was July 29th. How did the clubhouse change after that big shakeup? Well, technically we weren't allowed in the clubhouse yet. We were allowed on the field um, and in the dugout and stuff. And I mean, I think the biggest thing is you just look around and you're like, okay, that's a new face. That's a new face. Okay. I need to remember that's who that is. Like it's, it's there, there's such significant change. Like, you know, you're used to for the last, you know, five to six years at that point, the same guys for the most part running out every year and, and especially the core pieces. And so, when you have a significant change like that, I think it's jarring for everybody involved. And, you know, especially when you have a manager who is teammates with a lot of, with, with those guys and one world series with them. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, I don't think you can downplay what Contreras has meant to the younger Latino players in the clubhouse, you know, Christopher Morrell, Nelson Velasquez, you know, they, they, he clearly means a lot to them and his mentorship has meant a lot to them. And I don't think you can discount the impact of him leaving and, you know, in, in either of those cases. So it's going to be interesting to see how guys like that respond where you, where you don't have that guy that you can lean on when maybe you're going through a tough stretch or you have those moments of doubt. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be losing potentially two key leadership pieces in, in Wilson and, and Hap. So they're going to have to fill that void internally um, in some way. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how kind of the, the clubhouse responds in that regard. Absolutely. And, and as someone with a lot of access to the players, have you noticed it, especially I think with Wilson, there has always been chatter coming into the season. I mean, they were even going to arbitration up until the 11th hour. 
uh, Hap, I think is kind of a little bit different for me because like, you know, that drum beat didn't get louder until more recently. It, it, like with Wilson, it's been like a cloud over this whole season, but did you notice anything different with Wilson throughout the season? It, has it seemed to have been affecting him or at least in, in the back of his mind? Would you, was it something that you noticed differently than years prior? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, he made very clear in spring training. Like, look, I saw what, you know, KB, Javi, Rizzo went through last year and how they handled it. And like, he basically was like, for me, I'm, it's not going to be something I'm going to think about or worry about or going to talk about. Like, I don't want that to be something that's an issue in the clubhouse or, or weighs over, you know, the clubhouse and, you know, potentially, you know, affects other guys by having to, to talk about it or deal, deal with it. And honestly, like, I, I think he really stayed true to that until the last, couple days. I mean, he, he really obviously got emotional after um, the game Monday night and, you know, it, he admitted that like it finally got to him. But I think up until that point in the last couple of days that, yeah, he did a really good job of keeping those thoughts away not stressing about it, um, believing that, you know, what happens happens and that, you know, if he did get to free agency that he will, you know, receive what he's worth and there will be interest. And so, I think he had self-confidence in that. And then on the flip side, like, I, I think he really did take on more of a leadership role, you know, and I think part of that is, you know, a so-called void left behind, but also, you know, those were some pretty big names, you know, to be leaving the team. And I think it really allowed Wilson to really fully be himself. And, um, you know, obviously he, he's always embraced the emotional side of the game. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think a big reason that he's had the success he's had offensively this year is because he hasn't been worrying about what his numbers are going to be, or if he's going to get paid in free agency. Um, and so I think he's done a really good job of, you know, not letting that have affected him the last couple months. Yeah. And you brought up the fact last night, uh, the Cubs obviously, uh, won and they, they ended up sweeping the series with Pittsburgh two game, but really no one's going to remember that. Uh, but seeing him last night as emotional as he was and tears in his eyes, I, I think for a guy like Wilson and, and Ian Happ as well, you know, these are guys that basically grew up their formative years, like growing up into adulthood with this organization, with this city, it's been everything to them. And I, I think that, that it really, you know, once you start getting to that point, it's, it's weird because there's no deals made. There's still Cubs, you know what I mean? They could very much play tomorrow or not tomorrow, Thursday in San Francisco, but, but it's almost like there's this sense of resignation between not only Wilson, but also Ian Happ. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, and, and I would say to that too, like you, I mean, Wilson in particular, I mean, he was 17 signed out of, out of Venezuela like the career he's had has been life changing for his entire family. You know, he's gotten to see, you know, what his brother's been able to do. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think you can discount um, how much that has impacted his life just, just beyond the baseball stuff for Wilson and, you know, and, and with Hap too, I mean, you know, as you said, he, he grew up through this organization. He, experienced struggle, success, failure. He's, he's really experienced it almost all, almost everything you can in terms of the highs and lows a player can endure during their career. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think it's, it's nice to see that they both embraced the moment and um, acknowledge, yeah, this could be the end because I think sometimes you see guys or athletes you know, try to play it off like, oh, this is just another game. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not focused on tomorrow or what might happen. I'm just focused on the now. And, and they don't maybe 
soak everything in and really appreciate appreciate the moment. So I think it was cool the last, you know, two days, you know, at Wrigley to see them really appreciate what was happening and, and, you know, the fans recognizing them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and those two guys in particular had very close relationships with the fans. I mean, you just remember Wilson playing catch with a kid in there and Ian Happ's relationship with the guys in the left field bleachers and, and, and they, they have created a connection. And so you, you take a look here now, there, there has been rumors, obviously, that maybe they're going to be packaged together. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, I think about the Vic Caratini, you Darvish, when they went together and stuff like that. It's almost like part of you wishes that they do kind of go to it, you know, go through it together. But, uh, you know, right now it sounds like the Mets are in play, the Padres. Are you hearing any other teams that are showing interest in maybe a package deal for the two? Yeah, I think the package deal thing is interesting. It's and And part of it is, if you package them, you're trading them to a team where, you know, they have another year of control of Ian Happ, where it's just not the expiring contract situation. Kind of like last year when you think of Baez and Trevor Williams going to New York, though obviously the package of players is much different in this case. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the, the Mets and Padres are, are obvious teams that you would expect to be involved in that. And, and I think – you're still kind of the next day or two, you know, there's some teams that need to figure out, are they buying or selling? Like I'm thinking of the Red Sox, not that they necessarily would be in play for these guys, but like you still have some teams that are trying to figure out what path, you know, they need to go. And so it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, ultimately um, what happens. And, you know, w- one thing that's kind of stood out to me in the last couple of days is I think last year, everybody was bracing basically for those three guys to leave, you know, it was, it was on the radar for a couple of years. The, the contract extension talks and speculation had, had gone on for a couple of years at that point this year. And, and, and you, and I'd be interested to hear your perspective on this too, but like, I almost feel like this is this, you know, happened and Contreras leaving is in some ways hitting fans harder because, you know, this wasn't something that was on the radar necessarily for the past, three years that they're going to be gone and they're not going to, neither of them are going to be re-signed. And so I think it's just been interesting seeing some of the Cubs fans reactions. Um, and, and obviously both of them, you know, like the, the guys last year are very well liked as well. As you said, they've made connections with fans. So that might be part of it too. But I think it's been interesting seeing, you know, how, how many fans have been vocal about wanting Contreras extended and, and not wanting half traded. And so I think it's been an interesting dynamic to see fan reaction from last year to this year. Yeah. From, from just taking that from a fan perspective, you know, like, like I was saying a little bit earlier is that I, I don't think anyone thought it was going to be that complete massacre that happened last year. So I was at the game. It was against the reds right before they went to Washington and we, we go to the park that day. Baez was in the lineup, but Bryant and Rizzo were not. And you never saw mm-hmm. really a day where both of those guys were not playing. Um, and, and, and so we were kind of like, this. okay, well, maybe they got certain things. We know, well, maybe Baez is staying. Okay, right. maybe that's logical. And But it was hard because, like, during that game, the Cubs lost. Like, everybody wanted Bryant or or – uh, Rizzo to get one last at bat, give him a pinch hit at bat. Let us, let us kind of say our goodbyes. And we never did. Uh, when John Lester left, he right. never got a proper goodbye. That was when there was no fans in the ballpark. So I think a lot for, and, and I, again, it, it's, it's, 
you know, we weren't sure as fans, was this going to be some sort of little retool, make a couple moves, change a couple things? It's clear what direction they're taking now. There's no doubt about that. And so it, it's, it's an end. It's an end to an era. Obviously, you still have Jason Hayward. How much he plays anymore, we don't know. And then Kyle Hendricks. Those are the last of the two of the 2016 team that really changed Cub fandom forever and, and made history. So I think I think the fact that here you go, you it just kind of played out perfectly that this was the last two games, beautiful weather, right before you go on a road trip, and you know they're leaving. I, I think it gave fans one last chance to kind of, I don't even think it was just about Hap and Contreras. It was just about everything. It was like the totality of it all and saying goodbye to a team that, that gave us everything we all dreamed for for so many years. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and I definitely get, you know, how tough this has been for fans the last two years. Like you never imagine that nobody basically from that 2016 that could be extended, you know, will be essentially, um, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, you know, but on the flip side, I mean, I think there's also been signs from some players in the first couple months that maybe this rebuild is not as far away as it might feel. Um, I mean, I think you're seeing another stellar outing, you know, from Keegan Thompson today. Nico Horner has been playing out of his mind. Christopher Morale is looking like the real deal. Justin Steele is looking like he's a starter. Like there's there's some intriguing pieces that I think can make it potentially feel a little closer than, you know, fans might think. And obviously a big component to that is going to be what they do in the off season. I mean, they have to sign one of those big free agent shortstops. Um, but I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to set them up for an interesting off season. And, you know, with some of the pieces they have in the minors coming along, you know, there's, you know, there, there's a lot of things to be excited about that, you know, for as sad of a stretch that this is for Cubs fans, you know, I do think that this might not, this might not be a four-year thing. Maybe, maybe next year they take a little bit closer step to being 500 and really within the next two years. I mean, it should be a completely different vibe. Absolutely. The depth of this team of the farm system is, you know, no, it's not, some people are paying more and more attention to it, but when you look at what Myrtle beach is doing in South Bend and Tennessee, and then those pieces are starting to move up a little bit to even in, into Iowa. I mean, it's, it is exciting. Um, with the possibility of Hap and Contreras not being back, who do you think takes more of a leadership role? Do you think it's more Rossi kind of stepping up a little bit more? Or are there other people that you think would fill that void in the clubhouse? I mean, I think having just mentioned him, I mean, I think Nico Horner is one of those guys. I mean, he's, he's kind of that perfect bridge, you know, where he was around, you know, the, the previous core and got to learn from them, you know, World Series champions. Um, and, you know, he's also young enough and and playing at a level that, you know, it forces guys to take notice. And he's really well-respected and well-liked within the clubhouse. And, um, you know, as, as Ross mentioned after last night, you know, he's a winner, you know, and he's a winning type player. And, you know, I think his teammates feed off of that. And so I think he's definitely a guy that, has already kind of started a little bit getting into that, that leadership role and definitely has an opportunity here to kind of take that next step forward um, within the clubhouse. And, you know, I think a guy like Jan Gomes, um, you know, he's under contract for another year and extremely well-liked, you know, by the pitching staff, you know, multiple guys have gone out of their way to like credit his pitch calling behind the plate and the way he 
works a game and um, prepares for a game. So I think um, it, it, especially that position, it's, it's really good to have, you know, really strong leadership uh, guy right there. Um, so those are the two that first immediately come to mind. And, and certainly there's going to be opportunities for a guy like Patrick Wisdom, if he stays part of this kind of nucleus um, to take on, you know, some more leadership type responsibilities. And so it's going to be interesting to see kind of how that evolves over the next two months. One last question for you. You, you mentioned the, the big free agent class of shortstops, and there's going to be plenty of them. Uh, you know, Nick Madrigal is a guy who's been injured and struggled much this season. I'm sure he's going to get a chance to uh, be at second base once he's healthy and, and, and they feel like he's ready to move up. But do you see, if they do get one of those shortstops, what do you see the situation with Nico Horner being? That's a really tough question. I think it's a good one. Um, I mean, obviously he's shown that he can be a, a big league starting shortstop. And then obviously you look at his credentials. I mean, he was a gold glove finalist at second. And, you know, even last year they were talking about maybe, you know, he can get some work out in center field because he's so athletic, obviously has a great arm. Um, and so it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's really hard to say how magical fits in the plans going forward because, he's been hurt so often this year and, and really hasn't had a chance to show what he can do when he's healthy, that it's really hard to gauge, you know, would they allow him to keep playing second and force, you know, Nico to kind of play a Chris Morrell role again. Um, I, I think it's an interesting question to answer. I don't think they know that yet. Um, but I do think they believe that you, you accrue talent and then you figure out things after that. And I think, Nico is is a team player and a good enough athlete that you can really put him anywhere and, you know, he's, he's going to succeed and take to the challenge given to him. So it's going to be interesting. I think it's really important, you know, that Madrigal at least gets through the next two months healthy once he returns from his rehab um, because, yeah, he really needs to build some some positive momentum going into the offseason. And I saw the, the numbers that you pulled about the clutch numbers for Nico Horner. I mean, you would argue that there's probably no one else on the team you would rather have up in an important situation than Nico Horner. Yeah, exactly. And and that's essentially what Ross um, said after Monday's game. Basically, it was like, you know, not that I'm huge. Basically, it was like, I'm not that I'm going to compare to my former teammate, you know, who just went into the Hall of Fame referring to David Ortiz. But he basically was saying like he's never seen somebody want those moments as much as Nico, which <laughs> says a lot about him as a competitor, um, but also that he rises to the occasion when he is in those situations. You know, he he just has a calm presence up there. Um, you know, he doesn't try and do too much, which I think you see a lot of times from guys in those spots. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, he, he's going to be in the lineup somewhere and he's shown defensively that, you know, he's versatile enough that, where they ultimately end up putting him, he should thrive and, and be just as, you know, good defensively. But yeah, it's definitely gonna be interesting. But I think we're starting to see some some signs of pieces that they have on this roster, which really was what the season was gonna ultimately be about. And the fact that, you know, Christopher Morrell emerged kind of out of nowhere, you know, out of double A and and, you know, seemed like he was up as a temporary call up and then basically, you know, force them to keep him on, keep him on the roster. <laughs> right. You're, you're starting to hear rookie of the year whispers possibly. And, and, right. and, you know, there's still some time left and I, I am a little concerned. Do you, do you think, cause he's also very an emotional player plays with his heart on his sleeve, similar to Wilson. How, how much do you think Wilson being traded would affect Christopher Morrell? I don't know if necessarily the trade itself would. I mean, I'm 
you know, he, he'll be sad, bummed, all those typical feelings that you would experience and something like that. But I do think, you know, kind of what I alluded to before and and how, you know, Wilson is a mentor to the Latino players in that clubhouse. Like, yeah, like, you know, I think we all remember the moment where he told, you know, Morrell to just calm, calm down, take a breath. Yeah, <laughs> just breathe. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think those, those little things can't be discounted. And, and I do think he's going to feel the impact of that. And I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of how these next two months go when you don't have, you know, the, the veteran guy that you'd been leaning on, you know, through your first few months as a rookie. Absolutely. Megan, I appreciate you hopping on. Where would our followers, uh, look and find more of your work at, where can they find you, your socials, your, anything like that? Yeah, you can go to uh, chicagotribune.com backslash Cubs to find all of our Cubs coverage. And then on Twitter, uh, you can follow me at M underscore Montemiro. I appreciate you coming on. Love to have you on again, Megan. And uh, thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're listening to the Fly the W670 The Score podcast. This is season one. It is episode 19, and this one we are calling it the saddest sweep. We never thought we'd be so sad to see the Cubs take two games as they sunk the Pirates at Wrigley Field, but it also probably, Crowley, the end of an era as Ian Happ and Wilson Contreras have probably played their last games for the Cubs over at the friendly confines. They are on a plane. They are out west. They're resting comfortably in a nice San Francisco Bay Hotel as the Cubs and Giants are squaring off out west. A four-game series. The first game will be Thursday night. You can listen to it on 670 The Score. Another stupid four-game series. <laughs> Another bunch of night games. Cue really... up. Cue you up. And, uh, and I, I hate it. As a guy who gets up at 2.30 in the morning, Crowley, <laughs> A Sunday night baseball game on the West Coast. I hate Sunday night baseball. I hate Sunday night football, and I hate Sunday night baseball. Well, as you know, the Cubs are now on a six-game winning streak. Uh, they are 40-57, and 57, and the Giants have had a very disappointing season, and right now we're catching them at the right time because they have lost their last seven. So they're 48-50. and 50. They're... Uh, 17 games behind the Giants, and this was a team last year that was, and that that went toe to toe with the mighty Dodgers all year, and and this year, like I said, uh, 17 and a half games back, they're not really close. So this these, this is one of those teams that you take a look at, and you have to ask yourself the question: Are they going to be buyers and sellers because of the added wild card situation? They're only three games out of a wild card spot. Yeah, there's so many teams right now, Crowley, that are in the mix um, and in the wild card contention. I, I wonder if the trade deadline is a little bit too early, if teams won't be willing to sell. And depending on how you look at it, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. Also, the uh, Cubs are going to miss uh, Carlos Rodon in this series. And I don't know if you saw the, uh, the videos floating around where he uh, kicked a bat in disgust and almost took the knee out of one of his teammates in the uh, Giants dugout. Yeah. And, and I saw the video afterwards. He felt absolutely awful. Rodon was a guy that I really wanted the Cubs to sign in the off season. It was $20 million. And here's the thing about Rodon. He always gets injured, but the Cubs have plenty of payroll uh, room to play with. So if you would have done that one year, 20 million, I would have gone one year, 25 million. 
And he's been an all-star the first half. Obviously, a bad start in the second half. But he's uh, going the wrong way, Crowley. He always does. I, you know, I rarely disagree with your Cubs' opinions, but that one I'm going to disagree with. I don't want Rodon anywhere near the Chicago Cubs, especially for 20 or 25 million. God bless him for getting it. He's worked his ass off. He's had his ups. He's had his downs. He's rehabbed. But the guy always, always ends up getting hurt and wearing down. What we knew, Dustin, though, going into this season is this was going to be a flip, a flipping kind of season where you sit there and you got Miley and Smiley and all these guys that you knew you were going to flip, okay? And so if you're telling me sign Carlos Rodon five years, $140, $50 million, no, no way would I do that because of his injury history and because he, he hasn't pitched enough to have enough innings and he starts fatiguing at the end. But if all you need is a really good half a season – I wonder what kind of prospects you could have gotten for Carlos Rodon. Okay, that that might change my opinion on a little bit if you put it that way. But I, I just, yeah, you yeah, no way, him. no way long term. But if all it was was one year, and like I said, the Cubs are fifteenth in payroll, they have plenty of money. That money's not an issue. And so what you didn't want to do is sign like a a guy to a massive multi-year deal that's going to be injured. And and, and again, we talked about this before. I expect the Cubs to start getting good in twenty twenty four. So you know, I I think that. He, it wouldn't have held anyone back. You would have traded him just like you were going to try to trade, like you're going to try to trade Smiley. And Wade Miley is going to make a rehab start this weekend, which puts him on the table for a possible trade. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? I mean, let's see what he can do. Uh, he's going to start down in South Bend, and uh, you know, let, let's see what happens. The Cubs take on the Giants in San Francisco on Thursday. That would be 8.45 Central Time. You can catch the Cubs game on the score, as uh, Matt Spiegel likes to sing. Um, but you have your first start here, Justin Steele, four and six with the 402 ERA and 81 Ks, going against Alex Wood, who's had a disappointing season at six and eight, 421 ERA, 96 Ks. The the Giants have not seen much of Steele, and the Cubs have not seen much of Alex Wood. Uh, Wilson Contreras has seen him seven times with 286 batting average, but you know who knows how many at bats he hits. Ian Happ seven times, 286 batting average. So both of them have seen him the same amount of times, hit the same amount of uh, off of him, and probably may not get to have an at bat against him. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see the, the at bats. Um, this this is a series, Crawley. I'm, I'm a little concerned about. Um, it's a four gamer. I'm thinking two and two, best case scenario. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm hoping for the best. I'm just, you know, I am just waiting on pins and needles to find out where Contreras is going, where Hap is going, where Robertson's going, and then what they're getting back in return. That's really where my attention is at as we approach this four-game series. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, when you look, though, at Justin Steele, his last start, he had a really good start against Philadelphia. He went, he didn't go that deep. He didn't have his best stuff, but he, you know, five innings, he gave up one earned run. So let's see if he can – you're looking for more of those six, seven inning starts out of him. So that, that that's what I'm hoping for, looking at Justin Steele. And, and and again, this is good experience for these guys going out to the West Coast, doing that swing and, 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 and uh, trying to be ready to that time change and all that stuff that makes it not that fun to pitch uh, in San Francisco. 
Absolutely. It's going to be a great experience. As you mentioned, the, the Giants are still in contention. They're, they're a pretty good team. They're, they're in the wild card mix. So this is a good, this is kind of like making the playoffs, like the Bulls and, and facing the Milwaukee Bucks and just trying to win a game and just getting that experience in, in a game on national TV, under the lights, on the four-letter network on Sunday night. All these things will eventually help this young pitching staff. Yeah, and, and, and so that'll be good. And then you got the second game of the series where you have Marcus Stroman going for the Cubs. And the Stroh show has really kind of come to town lately. We, we've seen everything that he's done as far as um, since coming back, and, and now he's kind of building up the arm strength a little bit. Uh, the last time out against the Phillies, uh, he looked really strong. I think he went into the seventh inning on that one, but six innings pitch on the uh, box score, five hits with only one earned run. He hasn't given up a, you know, he gave up a run against the Mets on 7-16 in 4.1 innings. And against the Dodgers, he only went four innings, but gave up zero runs and only two hits. So this is a start that you're definitely looking to see if he takes that next step and see if he can get six, seven innings under his belt. And again, continue to pitch as well as he's been pitching. Yep, he's building up. He's definitely headed in the right direction. So, again, the first two pitchers going in this series, definitely a reason to keep your eye and ear on the Chicago Cubs. Right, so they're facing Alex Cobb, who's 3-4, and 4-26 ERA, 74 Ks. The only Cub that's ever seen him is Jan Gomes, so not a lot of experience against him. Uh, against Stroman, uh, you know, Tommy Lestella has seen him eight times, Jock Peterson nine times, both former Cubs. Jock's 333 against Stroman, so kind of something to kind of keep your eye on on that game for game two. But, again, looking, looking for some length out of Stroman in this start and taking that next step. And what do we got for Game 3, Crowley? Game 3, a 8.05 Central start in San Francisco. Drew Smiley, 3-5, 393 ERA, 43 Ks versus Jacob Junis, 4-2 with the 2.98 ERA, 44 Ks. In this game right here, uh, the, the you don't have a lot of Giants with experience against Smiley and same on the other side against Jacob Junis. But we know that Jan Gomes has had 14 at-bats, but only a 214 batting average. Most of the other team hasn't seen him. And Drew Smiley is, is you know, with all the talk about Wilson and all the talk about um, Ian Happ and David Robertson, you take a look here, you're starting to see now that uh, Drew Smiley has quietly put together some good starts lately. Yeah. He did a couple good starts, and, and maybe there's enough time for him to get teams interested in what he might be able to add to a roster as, again, August 2nd, Tuesday, we're going to hit that trade deadline. Right. I mean, when you talk about what – I mean, the one thing that you need to get yourself over the, the edge there is starting pitching, and uh, this works to the Cubs' favor. There's just not a lot of it out there. You know, Luis Castillo is obviously the big name that everybody's talking about from Cincinnati. Good riddance. Don't want to see him anymore in the NL Central. But, uh, you know, the last couple starts have looked all right for Drew Smiley. Against the Mets, he went four innings. He gave 4.1 innings, gave up one earned run. Against the Phils last time out, he went six innings. He gave up one earned run. So if the Cubs are going to get anything out of him, this is, this is out of all the – I mean, obviously we want to watch and see Stroman and we want to see uh, Justin Steele and all that. But this start with Drew Smiley may be the impo most important of the four because this is his last kind of real audition before that trade deadline hits. 
That's a great, great point by you. Absolutely, and I couldn't agree more. This is really important for him, for the Cubs' future. Um, and now we move Crowley into my favorite, Sunday Night Baseball, <laughs> Under the Lights, four-letter network. Uh, by that point, I will uh, be into my cups as I am driving to Canada on Sunday. I'm going to leave at about 2.30 in the morning Chicago time and hope to make it to my final destination by about 2.30 uh, East Coast time. So I got about a 12-hour car ride with the uh, with the Famille. Uh, hopefully, like I said, uh, you know, you can keep both eyes on the road and listen to the Fly the W podcast wherever you stream podcasts. And uh, hopefully you have a, you have a good trip. Uh, with Adrian Sampson so far, he's going to be starting that last game of the series. Um, and he's just, what, what do you say, Mr. Reliable? You know what I mean? It, it's it's fantastic. Adrian Sampson 0-1 with the 320 ERA, 26Ks. We are going to see Carlos Rodon on Sunday night baseball. Unless, did they did they say he's not pitching? Uh, they didn't say he wasn't, but I still think I, I would be... Listen, for for the purposes of what I do on the radio, bring it, right? I, I want, I would love, I would love the Cubs to rough up a Carlos Rodon and watch him have another little pity party for himself in the dugout. So yes, I I I, I don't think he's going to pitch. I hope he pitches, and I hope the Cubs absolutely pound him. Uh, he was an All Star, eight and six with a three eighteen ERA, one hundred and forty eight Ks, and so. Um... You know, only Tommy LaStella has seen Adrian Sampson, so the Giants haven't seen him at all. And for the Cubs, you you have a couple guys, Jan Gomes with a 125 batting average against Carlos Rodon. And after that, not a lot. Wilson Contreras, seven at-bats, 286. We don't anticipate Wilson's in this game. But um, Adrian Sampson is, is, you know, just like I said, he's just been somebody that I've been looking at and just saying, my God, like, you know, so against the Pirates, he goes seven innings. He gave up six hits, two earned runs. Against the Mets, he went 5.1 innings, six hits, two earned runs. Against Baltimore, uh, 5.1 innings, six hits, three earned runs. Every day. Every day you would take that in a number five starter. Sure, absolutely. All right, Crowley, you heard me say it earlier. It's prediction time. I've got the Cubs going two and two in this one. Again, I'm saying glass half full, but uh, – um, I, as I will always say against the better teams, and especially if Carlos Rodon throws on Sunday, please just don't get swept. I'm, I'm very confident in a 2-2 split. I think, uh, I, I think, you know, it's tough always going out to San, San Francisco. You know the, the time change, how difficult that is, and it's a weird ballpark, and sometimes the ball doesn't carry very well, and, and it, it, it's a tough one. you got that big outfield, but I, I – it seems to me like the pitching staff is clicking at the right time. Um, I, I think it's, it's hard to predict this series because we don't know, A, how long these guys, whether it's uh, Drew Smiley, whether it's uh, Wilson, whether it's Ian, whether it's David Robertson, how much these guys are going to play or if they're even going to be on the team. So making a prediction is hard, so I'll just go with the, with the safe bet on this one as a split. All right, Crowley, you've got the split. I've got the split, and uh... – Let's hope that uh, we get some news, I guess, the sooner the better if uh, it is, in fact, the end of an era for Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ as Chicago Cubs. So that's a wrap. Season 1, Episode 19 is in the books, and we called this one the saddest of sweeps. You can follow us at on our socials, on Facebook, Fly the W, on Instagram and Twitter at FlyTheW670, and email us with any questions, comments, or suggestions at FlyTheW670 at gmail.com.